0: Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast where you get your usual 20 minutes or so of news and information of important matters in and around the hotel investment space from me, Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst and Andrew Sangster, the editor or director of Hotel Analyst. And we're starting off this week by taking a look at uh, more dynamic things that are happening in and around the uh, rental sector across student accommodation uh, but also multi-family rentals as well uh, where off the back of the pandemic we are seeing um, more adoption of new technologies to allow Uh, the owners of these uh, rental assets to sweat them more heavily Uh, particularly for the student sector uh, we're thinking about that uh, that summer period when very often um, student accommodation is left fallow and empty for perhaps up to 10 weeks through the summer Um, the pbsa uh, operators Managed to run their finances very happily off the rent they get for the 40 active weeks and uh, until very recently it's been a bit too complicated to um, do anything much about that, uh, that summer period. But I had a conversation, a very detailed conversation with Guy Westlake who uh, is the founder of a software business called Lavanda they've uh, developed a very interesting platform that enables uh, businesses such as Greystar and the PBSA operators to to kind of flex what they're doing flip around do some short-term rentals when they've got voids and uh, increasingly sweat their assets uh, more substantially and and get a much better return from the same uh, block of apartments or or rooms um, so another it seems like it's another pandemic driven uh, change but it is also very interesting in that real estate in, in general has kind of been quite loath to sign up to this uh, this new wave of tech until very recently and um, uh, particularly in kind of residential property management uh, the uh, as Guy, Guy pointed out to me the, the, the whole attitude until very very recently has been the landlord is the client and the tenant is just an inconvenient nuisance who happens to pay (laughs) the rent that the landlord needs and uh, it does seem that uh, finally people are coming to realize that actually you know that the customer is the renter and if you get if you get the renter into your into your building as a student then uh, and you look after them and love them then when they stop being a student you get them into the, your rental property in a, in a city center and you can probably keep them in one of your rental properties as they perhaps uh, get married uh, have, have their first child um, uh, perhaps you know right up until when they're 40 so suddenly uh, the value lifetime customer value is something that uh, the residential real estate sector is is slowly getting to understand
1: yeah so it is the living sector beyond straightforward residential it's this this new hybrid category that spreads across as you say chris um uh, i mean we've talked made jokes about this before but you can go right from nursery all the way through to um graveyards um, <laughs> in terms yeah. of operational real estate um and it's certainly there but i think that in, in more meaningful terms it's certainly the student piece um going into the co-living co-living piece and then in to some sort of variant on build to rent or some sort of cooperative living but more um, bigger apartments um, and perhaps even single family units Um, but I think the uh, main point here is this coming together of the trend um, and it's the confirmation of how big the trend is I think I mean mean, you talked to one particular software provider there are mm. several others out there doing a similar thing um, and it really is is something which is now beginning to certainly hot up. Now I, I, I sort of took a step back and considered in my commentary piece um, you know what is going on here and I think one of the things that we're guilty of as journalists is very often over hyping this new trend um, but what what typically happens is that trends are picked up and they're sort of seen as something which is going to be um, you know all encompassing very very quickly but usually what happens is they're much much slower Uh, but the reality is that the change um, is going to be much more profound and I think as an example of this I would look to the internet and what it's done to hotel distribution hotel booking Um, so it's been around over 25 years but only this year is it actually taking up 50 percent of all um, that's online is taking up um, 50% of all hotel bookings by revenue. So it's taken an incredibly long while to get to that halfway point, if you like. Um, I don't think it's going to take another 25 years, but it's going to take a few decades, I think. Get close to that n- another 25 years. So we get to the point where virtually everything is is online. So it's been very much a linear uh, progression in terms of the speed of the change, but the profundity of the change I think is, is much bigger. And I think this is something very similar happening right now in terms of operational real estate and the impact that's gonna have on um, real estate investment. And as it so happens, here at Hotel Analyst, we're actually organising our own little event to discuss this the operational real estate event. So, www.op re.com if you want more details. But that's next September, September the 20th. Um, and it's an ideal place to learn more about this hotelisation and the big shifts and changes happening in uh, uh, real estate investment, um, particularly operational real estate.
0: We've turned this week. To uh, the enduring subject of uh, uh, shortages of, uh, of staff, it's uh, it's still going on. It's still a big problem, um, and uh, it's demanding ever more creative solutions. The the scale of the issue was um, was highlighted by a fresh survey carried out by UK Hospitality, along with um, the British Institute of Innkeeping and the British Beer and Pub Association, and uh, they reckon that. Um, close to half of operators are either cutting hours or capacity because they basically haven't got enough staff to run the place at uh, at full tilt um, and this you know this loss is, is totting up. Um, one thing that particularly drew my eye was uh, the uh, expanding uh, group called the In Collection who've been buying up lots of uh, hotels with good food and beverage operations particularly in the north of England Um, and they've actually purchased a hotel in the Lake District uh, for over a million pounds um, which they're just buying purely to house their staff who are working at their other local nearby hostelries so that's quite a commitment to um, uh, giving your your staff somewhere to live Uh, but there's lots of other kind of issues continuing as as companies struggle to um, fill those empty uh, posts Um, obviously there's some poaching going on um, and it's not really fundamentally solving the problem um, there are some longer term efforts going on to kind of make the whole sector more attractive and, and do a better job of promoting it to young people who might to get their first job within the sector Uh, for now no end in sight so if you can come up with a tech solution to help your your uh, guests order more things without having to speak to anybody that's good stuff if you can find any other tech solutions to help reduce the admin burden at at all points of the business then why not take it up now because now seems like a, a very good time to switch
1: yeah, the important thing is with these solutions, um, basically what we're talking about is productivity with um, doing more with fewer people. Mm. Um, and if you do that, you can actually pay those people more. Um, and that actually is not inflationary. So one of the big issues we have today, of course, is inflation. So we head into that double digit inflation. There's a great fear of a wage price spiral happening. Wages get shunted up um companies respond by shunting up prices um then wages have to go up again blah 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 and and you just get this upwards um um spiraling of pricing um um, and this entrenched inflation now if you can deliver better wages Via productivity increases, that helps cut that out because uh, that can that means you can maintain your profit margins without having to push your prices up. So that's the holy grail we we need to be hunting for. I mean, it's something which we really haven't done enough of in the hotel sector ever, really. Um, so this just might be the catalyst for some meaningful change in that area. Um, in my commentary, I looked um, uh, really at the broader. Brought this into the broader recovery that's going on at the moment, and how this is a weird recovery. So, normally after a recession, a demand crash induced recession, um, what we see is a sort of limping back to, to health. But what we've got at the moment is a very weird situation in which we've got more demand than the industry can cope with. Um, And we've got, you know, it it was a crisis that was caused by supply constraint, almost the ultimate supply constraint of governments forcing us to shut the business, you know, shutting these businesses down. Um, And and we've now gone into a less severe, but still quite um, meaningful supply problems in terms of, input prices going up, um, energy notably of course, um, but also ongoing um, issues with food. Um, I got really boring um, (laughs) in terms of my my write-up and delved into stuff which I never thought I'd be delving into such as the uh, UN's Food and Agricultural Organization um, looking at their um, uh, their cereal price index, which um, is up fifty six point two percent in May from a year earlier, which oh, is that's not cornflakes, <laughs> but corn itself. <laughs> is it? yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, um, and but but the, the 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 thing here is, of course, is that these um, commodity product price increases are are ultimately going to feed through um, into costs and well we we don't need to tell the listeners who are operating properties at the moment that they already are feeding through into quite meaningful increases in in, um, costs and that um, it's not just energy um, which has been accelerated hugely thanks to uh, obviously the uh, invasion of Ukraine by Russia but we've got you know, things were already in train in terms of these, these, these price increases pre the Ukrainian um, invasion. Um, but I think there is relatively good news in that unless you think prices are going to carry on growing at the pace they have been growing, um, it means that they won't next year, or as we get into this, be a ongoing source of inflationary pressure and in fact there's some good news if you look at this uh uh, un food and agricultural organization price index um month on month it was actually down very fractionally 0.6 percent so from april to may um it headed down this was the broader food price index and that indicates that maybe maybe um you know we might be speaking too soon (laughs) but um food prices are plateauing and if you've got you know, even if they're elevated, the prices, as long as they don't keep increasing, there is zero contribution to inflation. Similar with oil, um, the International Energy Agency is saying that you know, yes, the benchmark Brent was up 70% from a year earlier. But there are signs, certainly for the rest of this year, that that's probably not going to carry on growing. It has some fears about where we are um, into 2023, given the comeback of um, uh, China, hopeful comeback of China, if it it eventually drops its ridiculous lockdowns. Um, But then that is somewhat dependent on where OPEC plus goes um, in terms of their production. They've certainly got capabilities to increase production. And if they do, and they hold prices at their current elevate, levels which should be good enough for them um, that means that again we won't see that inflationary input so what we have left is the residual impact of this in terms of how that's knocked on to prices which are are pushed up Um, so I certainly think we're going to see prices jump quite markedly within our sector and rightly so but that should I hope afford us the opportunity to start paying our people a little better which I think is good for the long-term health of this industry so if we we can actually get in some inevitably inflationary price increases but but hopefully some non-inflationary price increases thanks to productivity improvements I think that's a net positive for this industry coming out of this uh, recession and into the uh, recovery and the final thing on this is is you know where are we heading right now so there's doom and gloom surrounding us. Um, There was a great note put out by Bernstein this week and I really like the analogy they used and it's about headwinds and tailwinds Um, and the the point and I'll quote them um, they said we are still running 100 miles per hour away from the pandemic and so can absorb a 50 mile Uh, miles per hour recession and still make positive progress i think it's a very good point it's the net here that really matters yes we have got headwinds no question and there is certainly a significant downturn and possibly a recession on the way um, in the next six to 12 months um, but if the tower winds continue to accelerate our progress beyond that um, we're going to still be looking good and we're still going to be in positive territory as a sector despite um, the rest of the economy um, uh, being left behind from us
0: now we've had a couple of uh, substantial investment deals announced in the last uh, week or so both covering interesting businesses that are fundamentally hotel businesses but also have a substantial kind of hybrid element to uh, their, their revenues. Um, the first of them is uh, is that uh, a bunch of Qatari investors have decided to uh, do a deal with Accor. They're going to buy just over 10% of the Ennismore lifestyle uh, brand division uh, of Accor um, which um, should provide an opportunity for um, Accor and Ennismore perhaps to sell some, some other stakes in, in the near future. I guess it also means that um, uh, Ennismore is probably more likely to be opening more of its uh, its hotels and uh, and restaurants in the Middle East in future. The other uh, substantial deal of the week was the, um, the cha- change of, of stakeholders at the student hotel uh, business uh, where one of the early stage investors is pulling out uh, and the Singaporean Sovereign Wealth Fund, GIC, is coming in alongside uh, one of the other existing investors, um, but they're basically putting more cash in to help catapult the student hotel uh, forward for to accelerate its growth much more substantially. And of course, here's another business that's got an interesting model because they build properties that combine student accommodation with a, a hotel, some co-living space and so on, and uh, operate them all in one together uh, and have survived, have thrived, survived quite well through the pandemic uh, due to that flexibility and being able to kind of turn and look at a different market when one was uh, temporarily closed to it.
1: Yeah and again that's speaking to what we were uh, talking about earlier in terms of this hybrid approach um, and the flexibility that it does offer and you know uh, another reason to cheer for for taking that that model and that way forward. I look specifically at Accor, um, and there's two ways to take uh, what Accor has done here. One is to say, "Oh, look, Accor—it's it, greatly undervalued um, because there's this bit hidden within it, which is is worth significantly mm. more." Um, so, um, on the other hand, you could say, "Well, actually, you know, there's a massive conglomerate discount, and Accor is stifling the value that's there within Ennismore." So, uh, I think it could could go either way for Accor or it could could have a re-rating of their shares back up to what they view as they should be worth. And to be fair, I think they're probably right to say they're they're worth more than they currently are um, on the stock market. Um, Or it could be um, more pressure on the management to say, well, look, actually, Divest this and uh, let's see the value. And that's certainly the case, as what's happened before, in the terms of if you look back to say the bricks brain split and that happened within the sector, um, the pressure was on to divest all the property um, to demonstrate that value that was hidden in there and focus on the asset light model. Um, so there is that risk, I think, in terms of exposing itself. Um, of course, ACOR also is already, um, you know, we, we've written about the SPAC, um, the Special Purpose Acquisition company Ackle was trying to lump loads of its odd assorted bits of businesses you know it's tech stuff and other odds and sods into well that's really gone very quiet at the moment partly because i think the SPAC meltdown um so we'll see where that goes but i suspect if you know this get this that only adds to the failure of that to get to fruition is only going to add to the pressure for a little bit more sort of corporate action at Accor's end i think the the big issue here though is all this Um, focus on Ennismore on the flashiness of the brands and they are sexy and they're (laughs) trendy and they're you know they they deliver all of that at the end for me the bit where the real value in Accor is is in Ibis and to an extent Novotel, but Ibis in particular which is the dominant brand in in Europe it's twice the size of any other brand in Europe um, and it's you know it ought to be hoovering up Um, across the continent now there's a question mark why isn't it doing that now is it and uh, uh, you know I oppose this question Mm -hmm. because they have now gone fully asset light if you look at uh, Whitbread with Premier Inn it has become the UK's dominant hotelier and indeed Travel Lodge become sort of number two, certainly within the economy segment, um, uh, thanks to using um, an asset heavy strategy, leases in the case of Travelodge, a combination of ownership and lease in the case of Whitbread, um, And they did that. And I'd contrast that with um, the, our older listeners will remember Bass when they had, um, um, they bought the Holiday Inn portfolio back in 89. And um, they had the biggest land bank in the in in the UK, with with their with their pub estate, they were the biggest pub um, managers. Um, and um, but they didn't. They decided to stay pure and go asset light with with it because they felt that was going to undermine what Holiday Inn was. But unfortunately, that meant Holiday Inn Express um didn't become the, the, the 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 dominant brand in the UK. I think it had the potential to become. Um, and instead. You know that was handed over to Premier Inn, Um, so I think there's a miss there, and I wonder actually whether there could be a miss here in terms of Accor and the potential for Ibis for its failure to to um, carry on with its asset light, uh, rather its asset heavy strategy. It was at one point going to keep leases. That's now off the agenda for Accor. But I'll contrast this with B&B hotels currently owned by Goldman Sachs Funds Um, and um, B&B is is opening at the rate of uh, one hotel a week. Now, you know, N is more yes, they're bigger hotels and more valuable in terms of fee income, but it's one every two weeks. Uh, So, you know, we've got this B&B racing away here. why isn't ibis doing the same thing um, given its much greater scale and size it ought to be able to exploit um, and there is a question mark against that i would suggest and maybe actually the thing here is not so much creating value by spinning off Enismore, but be creating value by spinning off ibis and novatel mm.
0: now our five star and no star awards for this week and for five stars i think we're heading over to scandinavia andrew
1: yes indeed so uh um nordic choice hotels have rebranded interestingly making an announcement on sunday it was a bizarre day to make the announcement but they um maybe they were just getting a head start here it's midsummer in scandyland isn't it so they they all <laughs> dance around the maypole um that time of year um so maybe that's that's why but um yeah so they're renaming themselves strawberry which i think is an indication that you know they they are um, maybe shall we say moving away from their relationship with mm. Choice. Um, who's who knows? They've certainly been growing the number of independent hotels they have, and they've been you know they've got a relationship now with Starwood Capital. Um, so maybe the head has been turned away from that, and certainly with Choice and its new focus with Radisson, maybe that will speed the whole process up. But uh, we'll we'll await that with interest. But certainly I think the announcement of the announcement that it's going to double in size over the next decade, very interesting and very exciting. And
0: those stars of week go to the Aurora group in the UK who've uh, uh, performed a bit of a misstep by starting some construction work in the grounds of their uh, Fairmont Hotel uh, near Windsor. They started building some, some tree lodges and uh, st- it was someone's someone forgot to put the planning application in so um no stars for that uh, that that mistake but i think we're going to flip it around and give five stars to surrender or, or are we for his contract
1: yeah i think so because yeah turning up actually at the council planning meeting and apologizing in person and making the effort um to do that and make a profound apology um on personally and on behalf of um um the company so i think i think that's that i'm gonna also add in another oh, no okay. star mm-hmm. actually just sneak one in which is i'm off tomorrow to um a conference in bangkok and oh my goodness with the airlines ah the horror show <laughs> so i have had my my um flights adjusted continuously over the last few days so i started off um you know having a nice mini layover of about two hours in um, Doha and they've managed to now extend that to nine hours and that's you know you get the choice you get an email comes through that says if you you can either cancel your flight or you can accept our our new flight schedule I thought oh great you know <laughs> um, so I did phone them up to moan about this and they said well you can change your flights but it's going to cost you uh two thousand pounds so I thought well, being a given that's twice as much I'm spending on the whole trip I decided <laughs> decided Against it, but uh, interestingly, and I'll leave this one hanging. So, quite whether I'll be back next week <laughs> or not is that uh, I am. Um, I've managed to. Uh, check in um, to one of the earlier flights with my BA app so I've actually printed off a boarding pass for a for a a flight which means I've got a measly five hour layover so we'll see if they let me on the plane with that boarding pass but uh, um, there's certainly no stars in terms of their how they're treating customers and indeed their technology in terms of allowing me to get a boarding pass well we'll
0: look forward to hearing the details about that one later but meantime we'll say goodbye for now